0: All right, hello, and welcome to Challenge. I am so excited to be kicking off our devotional series. I know Paul technically kicked it off last week, but I'm starting us off in Chapter 1 of Ephesians. We're going to be walking through Ephesians together for the next several weeks, and I have the honor of covering Chapter 1. So I'm going to be actually starting by reading uh, there's 12 verses that I'm specifically focusing on. And I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible handy, uh, to grab that, or if you have the Bible app on your phone to pull that out. I'm going to be reading it uh, in the ESV translation, if that means anything to you. Um, you can follow along with that. And while you're doing that, I just wanted to give a quick, interesting note. When I first started studying this chapter, uh, I found out that this chunk of verses, I'm covering chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. In the original language it was written in was one long, elegant sentence that had all these different ideas just working and weaving in and out of each other. And I thought that was so interesting, and it made a lot of sense. Um, after I'd already been reading this and meditating and, and praying over this, this passage of Scripture um, for a little while, when I found that out, I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. It really um, connected together. So as I read this, I'd encourage you to... Uh, Look for the ways that God relates to us in this passage. So as I read along, and hopefully you're following along, uh, look look specifically for what the Bible says about how God relates to us. So here we go in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, I know that was a longer chunk, so that's why... I told you you should pull out your Bible or, or a Bible app on your phone to follow along with me. Um, I just wanted to read it off so that you can see clearly um, where I got these big takeaways from. I have three big takeaways all leading up to one single culminating point um, that I got from, from studying this passage of Scripture. And so the very first thing that stood out to me was that every good thing in life comes from God. Every good thing in life comes from God. Right off the bat, we see this statement that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in verse three. This really caused uh, another verse um, that, I've, that I've studied before to ring in my ears. It's James 1:17. It says, every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So several times, uh, that, that was my first big takeaway. I told you it was gonna be simple here. One first big takeaway is every good thing in life comes from God. The second big takeaway I had was several times we read in this passage ideas about how God chose us and ideas about how God has adopted us. And that struck me for one very kind of obvious reason if you know me, is that two and a half months ago, my wife and I adopted our baby daughter. And so when I was reading this, it's hard not to not to see some sort of identity in that or to identify with that in some way. Although there's no real correlation there in how God adopted us and how I adopted or my wife and I adopted our daughter. You know those are pretty different things, but there's still definitely some similarities. And so the biggest similarity you can see even throughout throughout these verses is this idea that God chose us. God chose us. Like he reached out to us and adopted us. It was all on him. It was his part. It was his decision to reach out his hand to us and offer us grace. And that just rang in my ears because um, when I think about my daughter, I think about how much I love her. I just love her so much. I wish I like, had her here and I could bring her up on stage and show you. Um, I love her so much. And it's not because... She, like, brings, uh, she, like, was bringing some money to the table in this scenario or something. You know, it's not like she, uh, she behaves overly well. She's a baby, you know. She, she's not, she's not uh, doing the things I always want her to do, and because of that, I love her. That's not how it works. I just love her. And that's what I see over and over in, this, in these verses is that God just loves us. And it's not because of the things we do or the skills or money or assets we bring to the table in this relationship with him. That's not what's causing his love for us. God just loves us. He loves us so much that he adopted us as his own. So that's my second big takeaway there. And number three is that the depths of God's grace are something that we will not fully comprehend this side of heaven. And I suspect that we'll probably spend many a millennium just thinking and dwelling on his grace, even once we do get to heaven. Let me just briefly explain this a little bit more. Verses seven and eight say, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So here's what my study Bible had to say about this passage. It said, Redemption denotes ransoming someone from captivity or slavery. Forgiveness of our trespasses explains the nature of redemption. Christians are freed from slavery to sin and guilt. This was affected by Christ's blood, which means his death as an atoning sacrifice. And that last phrase there, his death as an atoning sacrifice, is really key. Atoning means to make amends or a reparation. It is to repair what was previously broken. And I love that description, that explanation about word atoning. To repair what was previously broken. And that is what Christ did through his death on the cross. He repaired what was broken. Our relationship with God was broken without him. And he repaired that for us. He atoned for our mistakes and the bad things that we have done. And I think that's something that I can't, I've been thinking about that for at least 10 years, and I still can't fully wrap my head around the depth of God's love just in that one action that he took. Now, like I said before, this is all just the setup. These three big takeaways are just the setup. The fact that anything good in your life comes from God. The fact that God wants us to be connected to him, despite the fact that it required him to go to such great lengths as to sacrifice his own son, Jesus, on the cross to atone for our sins, to repair what we had previously broken with him. All this leads up to verses 9 and 10. So let's start back in verse 7 to get some of this, this lead-in to what I'm talking about here. So verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite All things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to unite. Those are the two big words, to unite. This is the central theme of the passage. God has effected cosmic reconciliation in Christ. The work of Christ on the cross is the central axis in the history of creation. Whether in heaven or on earth, Since he has redeemed his people and conquered the power of sin and death. If you are listening tonight and you aren't sure what the main theme of the Bible is, that's it. This is the main theme of the entire Bible. The whole story is of God's grace overwhelming humankind's propensity to sin and rebellion. That's over and over, story after story, lesson after lesson, example after example, teaching after teaching in the Bible. They all can be combined to point to this singular focus, God's work to reunite us with him. So if you are a follower of Christ, that means when you act divisively, you are misrepresenting who God is with your life. and you're misrepresenting what. He is done for you and for everybody else through Christ. There is a lot to disagree on in the world right now. There's a lot. I don't know if you've been on social media lately, but that's all it takes to understand how much there is to disagree on and how many disagreements people have. As Christians, we need to realize that other people are allowed to have different opinions than us. Even other Christians have different opinions than us. Because guess what? I'm not God, and you're not God either. Your opinion is not his word. You could have all the right motives in the world. I could have all the right motives in the world, in my opinion, my perspective on something, and I could still get to heaven one day and find out that I was dead wrong in that opinion unless I can find it expressly stated in the Bible, then there's a chance I'm wrong. If it's in the Bible, I'm not wrong. (laughs) I know I'm not because I'm not the one saying it there. It's God. But if it's not specifically stated in the Bible, then I could misinterpret the circumstances, have mixed motives that I don't even identify. There's a whole slew of things that I could be getting wrong in whatever opinion I have. And especially, this is specific about a lot of what's happening right now, especially because the vast majority of issues I see Christians bickering about online are that of policy. They both see problems, and they both agree that something needs to happen. They just disagree on the most strategic course of action. They both have a desire for people to be treated well, for people to be safe, for all these things. But the difference is just they have differences of opinion of what's the most strategic course of action for dealing with these problems. We all need to realize that the circumstances of this life are just the stage that we're supposed to be using to display Christ's love for a lost and broken world. That's it. As a Christian, That is what you're supposed to be using this life as. This is a stage to display, not yourself, but Jesus Christ and what he has done to everybody around you, including your Christian brothers and sisters. We need to focus on that and have unity in Christ and love and respect for others, even when we don't agree with their opinion. There's a verse that I love so much. It's Ephesians 4, 2. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I would really encourage you to recite that verse to yourself before your next social media post every time you're going to post something online. Um, And it's pretty interesting. I love that verse because it even gives uh, air for other people to be mistaken, right? It says, making allowance for each other's faults. So if I have a very strong opinion on something, I'm probably going to think you're at fault in your opinion. But even in that circumstance, the Bible says, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So I pray that if that happens in a discussion with me and you, I don't just blow you out of the water and make a bunch of insults. (laughs) Um, I hope that I will think about that verse and how Christ died to unite us to God and in doing so as Christians, we're united together. Now, switching gears here, if you're listening to this and you're not sure that you have received that atonement that I was talking about, that the verse was talking about, that atonement for your sins through Jesus, you need to know this. Being a good God, God does not make you united with him. He gives you the option to choose him or to not choose him. In fact, he's providing you with that opportunity right now through the verses that I read. So how are you going to respond? You can choose right now to see verse 13 in this chapter realized in your own life. It says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That that is to say that God will not only forgive you, Of your sins, but he will come into your life and start helping you live life the way he designed it to work. And maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've even prayed a prayer like this, uh, like following this idea before. But if you're hearing this, this passage of God's word, and you have an inkling of a prompting to pray to God asking for forgiveness for your sins and to be reunited with him, I urge you to respond to God's promptings in his word. And I'd really encourage you to join me in in praying this prayer. Lord, thank you for your grace that you've lavished on me. I thank you for your persistent pursuit of me, even when I was trying to live life my own way and run from you. I confess that I've messed up. I have lied to people I have hurt people that have acted selfishly when I could have acted selflessly and helped others. God, please forgive me of my sins through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, God, through him repairing my relationship with you on the cross. And please help me to walk with you daily as my Lord and as my Savior, as my perfect, adopted, heavenly Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.